This is an ABC podcast. Good afternoon and welcome. This service this afternoon is an opportunity to reflect on the special life of Alison Mary Hodnot. My name's Carol Green and I would like to officially welcome you to the traditional lands of the Anawan people, my ancestors. We were on top of the New England Tablelands in Armadale at a funeral. And I'd also like to acknowledge the amazing and wonderful gift for Mrs Hodnot and her husband. And to the Hodnot family, thank you. That gift was one reference to a lost culture on hours of magnetic tape that became the foundation for the revival of an Indigenous language. Hey, I'm Miyuki Okiranta. This is Earshot. Today, in the next of our Remember Me series, we join Toby Hemmings in the pews at his grandmother's funeral, where he learns about the work of his grandfather as a linguist and asks, can you build something new out of fragments frozen in time? And a warning for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners, this program features the voices of Aboriginal people who have died. We could not do acknowledgement of country in Armidale had it not been for uh, your parents and your grandparents. Had it not been for the work that your family did, we wouldn't be able to say we are Anawan. Sitting here at my grandma Alison's funeral, these people I'm hearing about can't be my people. Gosh. Gosh. I'm cleaning out at Grandma's house with my mum. The house is in a mild state of disrepair. But who's on the front of that one? Grandma was a hoarder of old birthday cards. Miss Piggy, because that's what Dad thought Mum was like. My grandparents, Bill and Alison Hodnot, met in post-war Oxford. Both loved language, playing with it, practising it, and learning together. They married... And when a post opened up at the University of New England, in Armidale, New South Wales, teaching English literature, Bill took it with both hands. But my grandfather's passion was always linguistics. He was very good at collecting other people because he was fascinated by them. He was really fascinated by people. If someone had a story to tell or a thing. He, he was just like this encyclopedia. He loved learning, loved interacting with people, loved the whole interaction, great talker. So he could get people talking and out of the talking would come, would, would come things that he was fascinated with. Now, with Grandma buried, I realised just how little I knew about my grandfather. There was this absence I wanted to fill in. Who was this man? Going through my grandmother's desk, I found some of my grandfather's reel-to-reel tapes. I'd heard that back in the 60s, he would go out of his way to record people talking in Aboriginal languages. But I'd never actually sat down and played the tapes for myself. What do you say when there's a fella standing on a rock and he dives into the water? Had it not been for the work that your family did. That line. We wouldn't be able to say we are Anawan. From Grandma's funeral played back in my mind. What power did the words on those tapes hold? 
And this is this our... is the humpy. So this is my grandfather, grandmother there, and that's one of her children. So this is what they used to live in. This is Carol Green. She's the head teacher of Aboriginal engagement at Armadale Secondary College and a local Anirwan woman. Mind you, that's corrugated tin too. So oh, really? in summertime that was stinking hot oh, yeah. and in wintertime it was freezing. freezing. But at least it was a roof over their head and it had running water. And what, that was like... The, in the 50s. The tin humpties were in the 50s. Yeah, that's in the 50s. They used to call them one miles. So basically the town's here and regardless of which town it is, they were moved at least a mile away from the town centre, from the CBD. So that's why Jeez. they're called the One Miles. Carol's family out on the One Miles would have been a shock for my fresh-faced granddad, coming out to regional Australia in the early 1960s, seeing how people lived or were made to live. But Bill had a peripatetic mind and wanted to know more about the local languages of the First Nations people in the New England area. He was a really talented linguist, but he was also very interested in what happened to people if they weren't part of, you know, the, the mainstream. Bill was the son of a Welsh miner who grew up at a time when you were supposed to speak the King's English. He knew that language was a part of who you were, and he made with it what he had. As an anthropological study, he had to do it himself. So he originally had that great big, huge um, reel-to-reel that he used to take. In the early 1960s, Bill began recording, documenting the language around Armidale, mostly Gumbangia, which originates from 200 kilometres away, down the New South Wales mid-north coast. It was wonderful. Here's a tape recorder and a notebook and a car. Go and see what they speak. Francis Cofod was one of my grandfather's research assistants. Back then, linguists studying Aboriginal languages would have lists of informants, usually community elders who'd grown up speaking the language, and would record them saying specific words, either on tape or written phonetically. You have to start at the very beginning if it's not been documented at all. You have to start with elicitation lists. What do you say for man, woman, child, sun, moon, stars? This was the time of Australia's assimilationist policy. Policy designed to drive Aboriginal languages into the ground. So you can imagine how rare it was to have a white person inviting you to speak in lingo. I, I, th- I think that I had a wonderful time with them because I was the only person that they knew whose only job was to sit down and listen to them. In and around Armidale, Bill mostly spoke to two old men, elders Frank Archibald and Lenny De Silva. Whether it was Lenny or Frank, if he put them in his car and took them off that reserve, He 100% had to get permission to do it. Frank is Carol's great-grandfather, and Lenny is Carol's grandfather. Bill needed permission from the Aboriginal Protection Board to talk to them. Because you couldn't just go and take people off an Aboriginal reserve, you could be arrested for it. Bill would pick Frank and Lenny up in the back of his blue Holden. Or sometimes, Frank and his wife Sarah would come to the back door of the family home to arrange these recordings. Frank and Bill would go and practice language, while my grandma and Sarah would sit and talk. 
my mum remembers their visit to the house. I remember have quite a clear memory of sitting on her lap as a little girl. I had very snowy white hair, uh, and so did she. She must have taken her gloves off. I remember tracing the veins on her hands and, and noticing the colour, the dark skin. I remember that very clearly as a, as a quite a distinct memory. In a quiet room, with his suitcase-sized reel-to-reel tape recorder, Bill sits with Frank and Lenny and chats. That's Lenny talking. Frank is a bit quieter, but you can hear him speaking up. What do you say in, in Gumbanga, what do you say for somebody walking? You say, oh, I'll see that fellow walking along the road. What's that mean? That's a walk. Yes, he's going. What do you mean that fella? He's walking along. What do you say for kids running about? Little kids. What's that mean? And so, for a few hours, captured on iron oxide, Bill's voice is eager and what do you say for memory? Say, yeah, I remember that fellow. What do you say for kids jumping? Look at those little kids, they're laughing over there. What do you say about that? What do you say for different fishes? That's a white thing. Yeah. For phlegm. Dandura means not well. Yeah. What do you mean, bring it up, sick. to be sick, to bring it up? For being frightened. What do you say about, um, you're going in the bush and you say to him, look, you go on in front of me, you say, and you lead the way, you show me the way. That's when you go ahead and show me the way. Show me the way. He draws out songs in Gumbangia, descriptions of dances. He even pulls out Gumbangia swear words from Frank and Lenny. But he's not just learning about Gumbangia. Bill asks about the other nations from around Armadale, the contours of the local communities. And where would they be from? I mean, where would you find the fellas? And Frank mentions a group a group that, back in the 1960s, was meant to be on the brink of extinction. Well, you find them on the coast in here, round... Yeah. Oh, not, oh, not here, this is the yeah. one here. Yeah. Up round Hope. A near one. It's a moment on the tape recordings you could easily miss. Bill's research was focused on the coastal languages, Gumbangir and Dungadi, but there were other languages from around the New England tablelands, and these languages were commonly called Anirwan. When you still had Dungati and Gumbangir, these two big coastal languages being spoken in the 70s, there was not the same conversations being had in Anirwan. Callum Clayton Dixon is an Ambayan and a Nairwan linguist. His family comes from Walker and Inglebar, just south of Armadale on the Tablelands. A Nairwan, those same conversations might have been been had back in the 1940s. Like our language, our languages decline, for lack of a better word, 
In the recordings, Frank and Lenny speak multiple languages, but Bill never gets any Anirwan recorded on these tapes. Nothing. The Anirwan he does get from these old men fits onto one page. There was this one page that looked like it came from a notebook, interview with Frank Archibald in 1966. And it was a handful of Anirwan words that Bill Hotmart recorded from, from Frank. The limited funding for Aboriginal linguistics was for recording remote languages. So Bill took a grant to head up to the Daly River and Kununurra. He records hours and hours of material over years. Over the course of his work around the country, my grandfather objectively ends up contributing to save around four or five Aboriginal languages. But not a Nairwin. All he gets in a Nairwin are five words written down and a passing reference on the tapes, like a faint echo. See, that long ago, I got a tick. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I've been only young when I went away from home. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm starting to forget myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's this way, Bill. When you're away from your people and you've got no one to talk to, yeah. you never think when you can't talk. Yeah. I, I was known to talk to see him. Yeah. I sometimes mean if I remember oh, him, I talk to somebody. Mm. It's, it's, it's a tough oh, decision. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. And it gets you that way. Mm. Your tongue sort yeah. of can't get around the words properly either. Wundang, white man, woman, kwanga, child, ikang, dog. I can't, if you can read that, if you can interpret what the hell that is. <laughs> what, what's it meant to be on the page? My sweetheart. That'd be great to know how to say that, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. So, I think. so that's all you've got, like, from, it's not much. <laughs> but to us, that's gold. Growing up, Callum felt the lack of an Erwin language. He wanted to know more about his people. When I came down to Armidale once to visit, I think it was sitting in Uncle, my Uncle Bim's living room and asking him, how do we say hello? Like, how do we greet each other? Like in animal language. And he more or less said, oh, we don't, we don't have that anymore. We don't know. Like there was just, like there was that absence of language. That absence is what Bill documents. In a 1975 publication about the myths and languages of the New England region, my grandfather states that a Nairwin is extinct. In Bill's own words, of a few languages, we have a sketchy outline. Of others, only a name, a location, and perhaps an unreliable list of words recorded at the turn of the century. Few Aborigines remain, who can remember any words at all. And in 1984, less than 10 years after writing that, my grandfather suddenly and unexpectedly passes away, leaving behind desks full of tapes and half-finished, half-written scribblings about the multiple Indigenous languages he'd been documenting. And that's why everything was unfinished because there was always someone more interesting to talk to, <laughs> more, more, more knowledge to know, more people to be part of, more, you know. That's just who he was. After his death, my grandma decided to send Bill's work 
to the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. Turns out he was a founding member, something I didn't know. And then she decided copies needed to come out to the university and she writes the letter to the university, the bequest, which says that the reason she wants it out here is so that it has open access to the local people. I'm here with Callum at the University of New England. In front of me is a grey filing cabinet in an underground section of a library, the Hodnot collection in all its glory. Copies of all the files on all the languages my grandfather recorded. The legends of the... What's this? Legends of the New England area. Oh, yeah. And it notes that there is nothing in an Erwin. Callum's worked to uncover more about Anerwan. He's written an award-winning history of colonial settlement and resistance in the New England Tablelands. And now he's working on his PhD, building a dictionary of Anerwan words. Since 2016, he's been a part of a local movement to revive the Anerwan language. Watching Callum go through the tapes and files, he still stops to scan something new. Notes on how other groups wrote their songs, descriptions of local landmarks. There's a lot of places like that on animal country where you just look at something, you look at a particular feature in the landscape, you just think, like, there's got to be a dreaming story that belongs to that place. Mm. Yeah, there's all these features in the landscape that would build, would have story to them, but the stories have been... Um, yeah, like, just memory of them have... Um, I don't even know how to describe it in a way that doesn't sort of... You don't want to say... You don't want to say lost. Lost, yeah, yeah, because they're still there in the country. White man. Wundang. Woman. Katara. Child. Kwanga. Dog. Ikang. Sweetheart. Bill was able to find five words. Together with other linguists, Cal reckons that, in total, there are about 210 words of Anerwan out there. Tiny, compared to neighbouring languages like Gumbangir and Dangari. It feels like it was out of reach for Bill, that he couldn't find it, or worse, that it slipped through his fingers. Like, why when Anerwan was mentioned on that tape... Where, where Bill's interviewing Frank and Lenny. Why didn't he ask? Oh, tell us more about this. Tell us more about an airwind. Like, where's that? And, and and do you know any words of that? Or or can you like, like just little things like that? Yeah, probably didn't even cross his mind at the time because he was more focused on, on on Gumbangir or, or or whatever. But it's, yeah, that little mention there. Oh, nice an airwind here. Like that's a tease. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, oh, here's a mention of it, but nah, nothing more than that. There's no way to reach back through the tapes, to stop Bill and say, ask more. Maybe he did ask a question off mic, but how does that help when you're sitting in a room in the present, listening to these recordings? For me, hearing his voice isn't this personal revelation. Listening to these relentless questions, I thought I'd feel more 
Instead, I only wanted him to see it. To see an Erwin. To have captured more than just five words. You don't speak with lists of words, you know? You might know the word for arm, leg, crocodile, dog, cat. But if you can't say, oh, look out, there's a crocodile coming behind you. You you need to actually be able to make meaningful utterances to one another. So you, you need more than lists of words. So how do you rebuild and repopulate a language from fragments? The more we acquaint ourselves with these old records and understand our language in the context of other Aboriginal languages around us, the more we're able to draw out of those old records and the more we're able to say, oh, well, like we can now put this particular sentence together. And then being able to write that sentence out and then speak that sentence that's nowhere in the records. To build an Erwin is an exercise in comparing and contrasting. Think about romantic languages. Spanish, Italian, French. Similar but different. The languages of the Tablelands and the languages of the coast can be seen in the same way. They don't exist in a vacuum. They all kind of relate to each other. This has helped Callum and other Anerwin revivalists teach language classes in primary schools and courses for adults as well. One of my nephews, I got told, and I think he was only like six or seven at the time, apparently he was calling some of the other kids Yikanga, which is the word for dog in Adelaide. When kids start, or even adults, when we start teasing each other and joking in a real natural, organic way in our language and laughing about it, like it's like, that's a really beautiful, yeah, it's a really beautiful organic way in which we can see language revival in action. Like imagine when we're able to string entire stories together in the language. Like it's not just yikana, dog. It's not just ketura, woman. It's not just runbina, sky. Like this is being able to say all sorts of things and then start to express things about who we are, what we're doing. Yeah. From records in filing cabinets to these sentence fragments, and then into real tangible land. Last year, the Anawan Revival Movement successfully crowdfunded to buy 600 hectares of land east of Armidale to be used as a space for cultural practices to begin again. These things wouldn't have been possible without, without those old people that were recorded speaking our language, either on tape in the 60s or in field notebooks in 1902, without them having shared that knowledge and having had that knowledge recorded, like what we're doing today wouldn't be possible. For my mum, watching her father's work live on in these new ways is incredibly meaningful. If he was here and he could see, like, you know, the revival movement around some of these languages... That would be fantastic. He would love that. He would think that that was the best thing and he would think that Cal was the best thing. He would just love all that sort of um, making sure that, that language lived and that people felt 
strong and powerful because of it. He would think that that was just the best thing. Do you know any other words in Anawan? Me? No, because I haven't done the course. Um, when are you going to do the course? One of these days, <laughs> one of these days. If it wasn't for how busy Carol Green is at work, she'd be first in line to do the course. You've also told me you've never heard the tapes of Frank and Lenny. No, I've never ever heard them. I'd love to. Anyone, like when you lose a loved one, you wish you could just pick up a phone and hear that voice one more time. But, yeah, I'd love to hear their voices again, even if it's them singing a song. Hello, all right. Thank you for singing some songs to me the other day. Now, which one? What's that one that you were singing about, the, uh, <coughs> the one, the Wongla G one, you know? And what's all that about? Well, my granddad, mm. he was the king of the tribes, he was a big player. Yeah. Frank's grandfather was an elder called King Bobby. When the railway first opened up in Armidale in 1883, yes. King Bobby stood over the viaduct as the first train went through. back out to Holden, where the other tribe was, and he just couldn't explain all about it. So he made this probably sort of a dance, you see, and that Wanglaji, that's the... Wonglaji is the sound of the engine as the train passes by. And that's what it means? Yeah. Ah, it's just the sort of sound that it's making and the, the yeah. bell ringing. And yeah, the so bell. Yeah. See, when the, when the government, when the train pulled out, you know, they had to ring the bell. Yeah. And that's the you rang the bell for the train. And what are the words of the song again? I mean, how, if you're saying the words, well, what do they mean? For me, though, the tape I've kept for myself wasn't in some filing cabinet in a collection. Cleaning out the top drawer of Grandma's desk, I found a mini cassette player. It's blank, but for a few minutes of Bill. His voice is older. This time he's recording himself learning to speak Russian. He's the subject of this recording, in front of the microphone. My grandfather's voice is there, preserved in time. Unchanging but immobile. What can I build from this tape? Remember My Words was produced by Toby Hemmings on Anerwan, Wadawurrung and Wurundjeri lands. The sound engineer was Tim Jenkins. Thanks to all the people who have used Bill's research to build community including Dr. Ray Kelly. Next time on Earshot, 
Julie hadn't seen her best mate Laurie for more than 10 years when she got a message from his ex-wife saying he'd passed, but nobody wanted to collect his ashes. What had happened to the charismatic and hilarious Laurie that meant he now lay unwanted in a box in a funeral parlour? Left on the shelf. That's next time on Earshot. I'm Miyuki Okiranta. I'll catch you then. Over the past three decades, we've kept a campfire. Started in Alice Springs in 1993 and tended by some of Australia's best journalists. I'm talking about Away. Join artists and former presenters to celebrate how Away has deepened the national conversation. Away, Saturdays at 6pm on ABCRN or hear it now on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.